Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is known as the resurrection chapter. We're going to be looking at uh, some later portions of that. And uh, let me mention that if you are visiting with us or if you... Uh, would like to uh, dig deeper into what we're talking about uh, today, that we have uh, some books that uh, will be available following the service at at both doors. Uh, Please feel free to uh, pick one up. It's called Easter Uncut. Um, You wish you could say everything there is to say about Easter uh, in a message, but that's impossible And uh, so we would love for you to pick one of those up uh, and take it home and read it or pass it on to somebody you think would would be interested. I was pastoring in another state, and uh, a young man came into my office. He was physically a, a strong man, but there was uh, clearly something wrong. His eyes were filled with tears, sat down, and I said, uh, what brings you here? He had been attending the church uh, recently, and he began to, to weep, not just have tears in his eyes. He said, all... I can think about is death. He has children. He had a wife. There weren't issues there. But he said, I am just paralyzed. It's on my mind all the time. Now, It's not uh, too unusual that that would be the case. When surveys are done about the top ten fears, typically death is number one. Sometimes it's number two, right behind the fear of public speaking. But when it comes to public speaking, most people can avoid that or put themselves in a situation where they don't have to face it that often. But when it comes to death, that's not the case. I've done a lot of funerals in my ministry. And I know when I go in to do a funeral that there are probably about four kinds of people that are attending the funeral. There are people that have a real uh, fear of death, and they really shouldn't. There are people that have a real fear of death, and they should. And then there are people who aren't looking forward to the moment of death, but they don't fear it. 
And then there are people who refuse to think about death and will do anything they can to avoid thinking about it. Now, I mention that about funerals because basically those four kinds of people are here in this room this morning as well. There are exceptions to all of these. But I've got some good news for each group. If you have a real fear of death and you shouldn't have that fear, I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't have that fear. If you're a believer and you don't have a fear of death, I will reinforce why that's the right view. But if you have a fear of death, and you should have that fear, or if you refuse to think about it, I'm going to do you a big favor here. I'm going to cause you to think about it for the next few minutes. Happy Easter! (laughs) But my prayer is that when we leave here, that we will all, no matter what category you were when you came in, we will all have the sense that death does not have to be our enemy. I shared with that young man that day some of the very things I'm going to share with you. Let's take a look at what God says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul in Philippians said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. So, Lord, here we are finding ourselves in all probability in one of those categories, whether we want to be there or not. But will you teach us in these next very few moments what you have to say about this? Would you open our hearts to you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's obvious that we are today celebrating 
the resurrection. And we do that on Easter Sunday. But we do that here at St. Andrew's every Sunday. That's what Christian churches around the world do when they gather. They celebrate the resurrection. And I want to give you one major application that has a lot of ramifications. A major application to the resurrection is that death doesn't win. It doesn't win. Verse 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So how could death win? But I want to give you four ways, really quickly, how uh, death can win, and it can, it can be winning in your life if any of these are true. Death wins when we are consumed by avoiding it. Now, in our day, and I, you know, I'm a baby boomer, and I think, I think baby boomers are the most probably guilty of this. In our day, there is an obsession with trying to stay young. And ultimately, that's trying to avoid death. Put off aging. We can't. Now, I'm all for exercise, eating healthy. I think we are to be stewards of our bodies. But we're falling apart. You know that. <laughs> it's not just me. We can never avoid it all together. And when we spend all of our time or all of our resources trying to stop that which is inevitable, no one gets out alive, it's inevitable, then death begins to win. Death also wins when it strikes fear in our heart. Like that young man I was telling you about. And I've had numerous people during my ministry with those same fears. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about looking forward to the moment of death. That would, be, that would be weird. That would be strange to look forward to the process or the moment. But I'm talking about death and what comes after death. For the believer, there doesn't have to to be fear, according to the Apostle Paul. It's, it's like the, the man who's driving along in the country with his little boy, and they have the windows down there enjoying the spring day, and a bee flies in to the car, and the little boy is uh, allergic to bees. He panics. The bee, you know, buzzes by him, and uh, the father reaches out and grabs the bee. And then he opens his hand, and the bee flies by the little boy again who's still afraid, but the father just shows him his hand, and he sees the stinger in there because that bee can no longer hurt him. Well, that's what, that's what Paul says death is for 
the believer. The sting is gone. Someone has taken that for us. And it may, it may look frightful. It may still look the same. But it's not. One writer said, when death stung Jesus Christ, it stung itself to death. Thirdly, death wins when we think or act like it's the worst outcome that could possibly happen. For the believer, death is never the worst thing that can happen. For all of us, it's the ultimate outcome. But for the believer, it's not the worst outcome. And too often, people act like it is. Oh, that's the, that's the worst thing that could, could happen. And yet, if we really, really believe what the Bible says, we can't look at it that way. I, I don't know how you feel about how things are going in our world right now. If you're like most people I talk to, there's a big frustration out there with all kinds of fronts. Use that instead of just getting frustrated or depressed about the world. Use that as a reminder. The reason I'm not comfortable here is because this world is not my home. Remind yourself of that. I find myself not just thinking it, but saying it out loud more and more. When I, you know, when I would just shake my head, we've just got to say, well, yeah, this world's not my home. Why would I feel comfortable with all these things that are going on? You know, when Paul talks about death, he even, he even talks about it as sleep. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep. He uses that, that word in a number of places in, this, in uh, the New Testament. Why is that? Well, because it's, it's not something to be feared. You know, here, here's a couple things to, to keep in mind about that, though. And that is that... Um, it never says that Jesus slept. It says he died. He died so that we can sleep. So that it's not something fearsome. It's not something that we should be afraid of. And by the way, it doesn't ever say, uh, talk about an unbeliever sleeping either. It talks about their death and that which comes after their death. So, Think about it in our, in our world. I remember as a, a, little, a little boy, I, I didn't want to go to sleep. And I didn't want to go to sleep because I was afraid I'd miss something. So I, wanted to, I, I always wanted to stay up. And I don't feel that way anymore. I've gotten to where I, I enjoy it. I look forward to it. And, you know, so in our world, it's an immature view to not want to go to sleep because, you know, it helps you, it makes you feel better, it's good for you and all that. And in Christianity, it's the same. If, if, we, if we 
look at death as something that we, we absolutely want to stay away from, that's an immature view. And a mature view is saying, but this is, this is God's way, His plan. Jesus died so the belie- uh, believers may sleep. Now, I mentioned earlier, uh, just a minute ago, about doesn't say that about unbelievers. And so that's the category of those who, those who fear death and really should. If you're not trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, you better be trying to put off death. You better be afraid of it if you're realistic because you have every reason to fear. The, the fourth way death can win is it wins when we only think of it from this side. In other words, when we focus only on the process of death and we don't focus at least equally on the other side. And, and that's hard to do because we only see this side. And the other side we take by faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was uh, executed at age 39, uh, in Nazi Germany. He said this, death is the supreme festival on the road to freedom. I love that. In other words, that's, it's the door. It's the way. It's the festival. The, the second thing we need to understand is that death gives us that which we cannot have until that time. That's what Paul says. Uh, and, and this is in the kind of confusing verses, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Let me just tell you what this is talking about. It's talking about our glorified body. What, what our, our bodies will will be like when Jesus comes again. And we don't know a lot about it, but we have the example of Jesus after his resurrection. He had a body, but he wasn't bound by the same laws of this earth that, uh, that we all are. He was on one side of a locked door, then he was on the other side. The disciples thought he was a ghost, and then uh, they, he said, give me a piece of fish, and he wasn't like Casper the ghost where he eats and, you know, the fish falls down to the ground or anything. He ate. So he wasn't, he wasn't a ghost. So those are things that, that we see. By the way, he, he also still had his wounds, didn't he? I know we all think that, you know, those kind of things will go away. One of my theories, though, is that those wounds were part of what made him perfect at that point because of what they, those wounds meant for us. So what's it mean for us on the other side of the supreme festival on the road to freedom? Well, let me correct one mis- common misconception and... Um, I never do this around funerals or deaths, 
So I'm doing it here. And that is that believers don't get their glorified bodies right when they die. You will. You will. But you immediately go to be in the presence of the Lord. But we'll get our glorified bodies when Jesus comes again. That's what it's talking about when, it, it's, when he, Jesus says, Behold, I am making everything new. So if that disappoints you, don't let that disappoint you. Let that cause you to long for the coming of the Lord Jesus all the more. So what's it going to be like, this uh, everything new? I think that's different than just healing up our body. Uh, I think we tend to, you know, all kind of look at our own body and think this flaw or that flaw or disorder or disease, that'll all be healed up. And that'd be wonderful. I think that, that's, that, that's going to happen. But that's thinking way too small, if that's all you think it is. You know, it's like if you, if you can't, <laughs> you know, if your hearing is gone or something, you say, well, I'll be able to hear again. Well, all that means is heaven's going to be like you were when you were 27 or something like that. I mean, that's... It's way better than that. It goes way beyond that. In the new heaven, our bodies and souls will be in harmony. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but Jesus is talking about making everything new. Imagine. Just think of it this way. As I get older, everything's harder. Uh, every exercise, everything I lift, everything from the time I get up in the morning till I go to bed, even going to sleep, everything is harder. Now, I don't want to discourage you younger folks, which is, that's pretty discouraging, I know. And I want to tell you that there's a lot of things that I've enjoyed about growing older. But I, I, I do, I will say this. This body ain't what it used to be, okay? And, and we all get that. But the Bible says this, we will run and not grow weary. We'll walk and not be faint. Doesn't that sound good? Oh, man. Right now we have five senses. As you get older, those get more dim. We tend to think, well, I'll see better again. I'll hear again. I heard one say in heaven, instead of five senses, we might have a hundred senses or a thousand senses. So here's, here's the thing. What, whatever you think would be good, it's going to be way beyond what, what we can even imagine. J.I. Packer, uh, you know, talking about how this life is is just a precursor. It's just a glimpse. It's a shadow of, of what's to come. So you think of a, a great concert you've been to, great music you've heard, a beautiful picture, a beautiful sunset, a wonderful feeling. All, the, all these great things about this life. And yet what happens? You, you tend to say, man, I wish this would never end. But it does. 
And J.I. Packer puts it this way, hearts on earth say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this to ever end, but it does. Hearts in heaven say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. There can be no better news than this. Okay, for, for some of you, this is all good to think about. But somewhere in your mind, you're saying, that's great. I'm glad to know that about death, but I've got some big things I'm dealing with right now in this life. I, I'm not thinking about death. That's somewhere down the line. I have real trials. That's why at the beginning of this passage, I, I quoted to you from the Apostle Paul from over in Philippians, where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What, what he's saying is this, that my understanding of death has changed how I live and my understanding of of my life. It changes our view of life. Paul says, For I consider this, Romans 8, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. He's saying, I'm going through some bad stuff, but it's nothing compared to that which I'm looking forward to. And this is temporary, and that's not. So a positive anticipation of the future puts the present into perspective. I had a seminary classmate, a friend, who died a few years ago of cancer. And they knew it was coming. His whole family had five children. And he had the opportunity to speak to each one of them before he died. He did it many times, but... uh, uh, had those wonderful opportunities. And one of his sons shared at uh, uh, his dad's funeral that his dad had said, Son, you're going to miss me far more than I'm going to miss you. You get it? it, it he, w- he was going to miss his family. He was missing them now, knowing he would, he would miss out on things. But he knew he wouldn't miss them once he went with the Lord. They would miss him. He had an understanding of what that, what that festival of freedom was like. And so, how does that affect your issues? A right perspective makes the difference. People who heard and grasped this teaching walked into lion's dens singing hymns. Uh, they, They walked to the fiery stake singing hymns. It made all the difference in the world to understand that for the believer, for those trusting in Christ for their eternal life, Death has lost its sting. And so if you say, well, that doesn't doesn't bring me comfort, it's not because 
there's a problem with the power of the resurrection. It means you're clinging to your problems a whole lot more than you're clinging to the risen Christ. It's sad to me when I see how many believers cling to life as if that's all there is. It's the whole bucket list mentality. Here's more toes to step on here. Bucket list thing here. You know, the, the idea is, i got to do these, all these things or I'll never have a chance to do it. Well, what do you think? In, in heaven? You're, you know? So that's the implication. This life is all there is, by the way. It's not the believers that should have a bucket list. It's unbelievers that better have a bucket list. And the one thing on that list better be to deal and prepare for your eternity. Because that must be done in this life. I know you may say, well, that, you know, this is easy for you to say. You're not facing terminal illness. Well, we're all terminal. We just don't know when. And, it, and it's true that I haven't, to my knowledge, been diagnosed with what will end my life here in this world. But I want to give two testimonies that tells me this is not unrealistic. One is, I've been around mature believers throughout my ministry. Not, not all believers are this way, but I've been around enough mature believers who have faced their own death with grace and with peace that shows me you don't have to fear. I've seen it up close. And then the other reason is that... Uh, on Easter Sunday, 2005, I stood in front of a congregation. I said, I, I'm not afraid to die. I, I'm not looking forward to the moment of death, but I'm, I'm not afraid to die. And three days later, God gave me a very wonderful gift. It was a heart attack while jogging. The EMS stood there and said, Sir, you're having a heart attack, which was just surreal. And I was in uh, such pain that looking back, I realized I was just about to pass out. But I didn't know if I was passing out or these were my final breaths. But at that moment, I remember exactly what I was feeling. And there was no fear. All I could think of, because my daughter was getting married in two months, was this is going to be hard on the family. But I had no fear. And so, two weeks later, I stood in front of that same congregation and said, you know what, I had no idea that three days after I said that, I would find out whether or not I had any fear. But God gave me that wonderful gift. I wouldn't wish it on any of you, but I wouldn't trade it. For you who trust in Christ alone for eternal life, you don't need to fear. But with Paul, 
you can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain because death has lost its sting. Let's bow together. Your word is truth, O Lord. Will you plant your truth in our hearts so much that we receive peace from this, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.